Amen. I invite you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, will be our scripture reading. We'll read the first 12 verses and then uh, the latter half of the chapter. So verses 1 through 12 and then verses 36 through 49. And here is the account, Luke's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on that very first resurrection Sunday morning or Easter morning. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they, that is referring to the, to the women who had come to care for Jesus, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third and on the third day rise and they remembered his words and returning from the tomb they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest now it was mary magdalene and joanna and mary the mother of james and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them but peter rose and ran to the tomb Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what happened. And now verse 36, Jesus now appears to his disciples as they're in the upper room. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. 
Now I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. We'll read Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the reading of God's word. We say thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this account that we have read from your word of the marvelous, wonderful story of the resurrection of your son, Jesus. We thank you for reading the, the shock and the, the disbelieving for joy and the marveling that must have happened. Oh, God, that you would uh, give us a, a sense of how marvelous that wonder, that wonder as we sing, the, the wondrous mystery that you would send your son Jesus to die and then to raise him to life again. God, we pray that in here in the next few moments as we, we reflect on some of these words that you, would, um, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive what you have planned for us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is why we gather this morning is why we gather every single Sunday morning. Every Sunday is a resurrection uh, Sunday in, in that sense because it's the resurrection that makes uh, our worship and our gathering possible. It's what makes our worship and our gathering together meaningful. Without the actual physical resurrection of Jesus from the grave, what we're doing uh, here wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Right? Turn around. Look at those around you. Dressing up on your nice Easter clothes. You know? And um, why would you gather early on a Sunday morning to come and to just sit in a room with, with people? Unless this was true. Unless this was real. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul tells us um, in his letter to the church at Corinth. Makes a couple of interesting points about the actual physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, now there was some there, I should say, who doubted that there was a, an actual resurrection of the dead. And yet this church, they, they claimed to be Christians and they said, but, but Jesus was raised from the dead. How could you deny the resurrection? If, if you deny the resurrection, then Jesus wasn't raised. And he goes, here's the futility of that. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So central is the resurrection of Jesus from the grave that it's purposeless to actually have faith. Unless you have the faith in the object and that object is Christ and Christ is risen. He goes on to say, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. 
And then he says this again in verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So profound is the resurrection and its meaning and significance for us. Jesus was actually physically raised. He wasn't a ghost. You see, even the passage we read, it says, and he shows him his hands and his feet. He goes, I'm not a spirit. Touch me. See. This story really happened. It isn't just a symbolic story, something of, of, that we get hope in. We do get hope in it, but we get hope in the fact that Jesus actually was raised from the dead. And this is what the apostles went to go across the world to preach. Repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name. Matter of fact, one historian put it this way, and I think it's, it's excellent, well said. If Christ is risen... Nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event in all of human history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is important for many reasons. But this morning, I would like for us to focus on one particular reason of why this is important for us And by us, I mean those who claim the name of Christ, who professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's this. Here's here's the main point for today. The resurrection of Jesus is so important because there's many reasons. But here's the one we're focusing on today is so important because of what it means for those who are in Christ. Notice our words that we read in Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ. Stop and think about that. He's about ready. Paul is right here to the church of Colossae. About ready to kind of make an appeal. Making an argument to them. On how it is that they should live holy and set apart lives. And he connects this directly to something that has actually happened to them. He's basing it on this truth. If then you have been raised with Christ. So I'll put it this way. Uh, He wants them to focus. And what our focus is going to be this morning is to focus on the reality of our resurrection with Christ. Our resurrection with Christ. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Christ. He's returning to something he began in the previous chapter. If you just turn back, you can see in chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, it says in verses 11 and 12 and 13, in him, that is in Christ, also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And then he says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. In the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. A couple of things that we should notice about just how packed and dense those just even those verses are in verses 12. And we will see in verse 13. First of all, our resurrection with Christ occurs with our union with Christ. To those who are. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are united to him. We're joined together to Christ. We are also, uh, uh, our, the reality of our resurrection with Christ is also through faith in the powerful working of God. In verse 12. 
Notice verse 3. It's also pictured in baptism. Paul makes this point, having been buried with him in baptism. Paul says this elsewhere in Romans chapter 6. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So our resurrection occurs through union with Christ, faith in God, pictured in baptism. It brings the spiritually dead to life. Notice verse 13. And you, when you were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. See this. Paul's driving home several points. He wants them to, to understand the reality of their resurrection with Christ. And here's a fifth uh, Fifth reason he gives, it, is, it involves our identification with Christ in his resurrection. Verse 12, you were also raised with him. Verse 13, God made you alive together with him. And he's returning to that whole idea in verse, verse 1, as he sets this, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, as he sets this for us here. So since that is true, you have been raised with Christ. Then he has a couple of things that uh, that he has for them to do in light of that. So first, he wants to drive home the reality of their resurrection with the resurrected Jesus. He now wants to go to their responsibility or the responsibility that we have of our uh, that we have because of our resurrection with the resurrected Jesus. So we have a responsibility here. And here's two points. First, the pursuit of the things above. Verse, again, back to verse one. If then you have been raised with Christ, he says, seek the things that are above. Now it's kind of, and he repeats this phrase, the things that are above in the uh, next verse too. It also occurs in verse two. Uh, so it might be helpful for us to stop and, and ask uh, what, are the uh, things above the Greek? It would just be the above things. How how vague is that, right? What is what does he mean by the above things? You know. Well, here's here's uh, what many commentators have given to kind of as an explanation for what is meant by these above things. What is it? Where is it? Some say it's it's the heavenly realm. Or the things of heaven. Or heaven re, heavenly realities. Or heavenly values. Or things that b- belong to or pertain to God. Or spiritual things. Or things of the spirit. Eternal things. Spiritual values which Christ has and he bestows on his people. Spiritual values such as kindness or patience or forgiving spirit or love. Maybe the above things means uh, our salvation and what we need to grow spiritually. Some say it refers to spiritual values or ethical standards which are characteristic of heaven. 
or the inhabitants of heaven or the virtues of the Christian life. In the immediate context, it seems like uh, it would be none of the things that you would see that we looked at last week, none of the vices. Right? Notice in verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On, a, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. We can be certain that the above things don't include those. Maybe it pertains to some of the virtues that Paul commands the Colossians to do later in chapter 3. When he tells him in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So this, this above things that Paul is speaking of, I think is kind of uh, deliberately broad. This is referring to the realm of God and his kingdom. And the principles and uh, attributes and traits of God and what's expected of his people. And he's saying here, those, those are the above things. What's the command here? To seek them. To seek the above things. The verb here is uh, zeteo. It's a present imperative. So meaning this is a command. It's in the present tense, so it kind of conveys ongoing, continual effort is required. Seeking, seeking, to look after, to search, to pursue, to endeavor to obtain. It's used a couple of places elsewhere in the, the New Testament. It's used of uh, Jesus' parents. When Jesus, they went uh, down to, to Jerusalem, Jesus is 12 years old, and then they... They head back home up north to Galilee, and they notice that probably with their big caravan of people, uh, they're a day's journey away, and they realize that Jesus is nowhere to be found. How many parents have lost your kid for a little bit in a store, right? Okay. Um, nowhere to be found, and they, it says that uh, they went for three days searching it for him. That probably means they had to travel the day back and spend a whole other day or so in Jerusalem, and finally they come into the, the temple, and Jesus is there as a 12-year-old, just debating and chatting with the religious leaders and the scholars of the day. And you could just, all the moms can picture this scenario, right? Coming, Mary coming to Jesus and saying, your father and I have been zeteo, you. We've been pursuing you, searching for you. When you've lost your kid in a store, your search was not a part-time, it was an occasional thing. So I lost my kid. Ah, well, let me look through my clothes here, right? You were, once you realized the child was lost, that was it. That was your focus and ambition. Same for Mary. This is, this, this is the idea behind this word. Jesus, on another occasion, he poses this, this story to uh, his disciples as kind of a question to them. He says, a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray. Does he not leave the 99 and then go zeteo out in search for the lost sheep that went astray? This intent search. It's also the word that's used by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. 
when he says in Matthew chapter 6, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? He says, For the nations, the, the pagans, the Gentiles, they zeteo after these things. And he goes, Your heavenly Father knows that you need him. And so he says, Seek first, zeteo first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. This is what the resurrected life does. It makes its pursuit the above things. While we as Christians, we live here on earth, we need to remember that since we have been raised with Christ, we now need to be truly oriented around the things that pertain to Christ and to pertain to the realm over which Christ rules and reigns. That is what we are to seek. And that's our first responsibility. The responsibility that we have of our resurrection. Also, keep in mind, uh, we, why, why else should we do this? Well, because Paul connects this to the resurrection of Christ, as we've seen. But he also connects this, this pursuit or see, uh, seeking, he connects it to what's called the session of Christ. Meaning, Christ, as he is seated and reigning right now in the heavens. Notice the, the last half of verse 1. Seek the things that are above, and then he kind of tells you where this place is, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's where Christ is now. We come together, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He appeared to his disciples. He was there for 40 days with them, and then he ascended up into the heavens, and he is seated now at the right hand of the Father. And that's where we need to make, um, to set our minds. That's what should be our pursuit, is the things above. That's our first uh, responsibility that we have in our resurrection. Paul gives us a second one. Uh, so we have the pursuit of the things above, or the realm above. We are also to have a preoccupation with the things above. Notice verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth. Again, we, he mentions here once again the above things, and he gives a little bit more clarification. He contrasts the above things with the things that are on earth. And again, this setting your minds is a present imperative. It's a command, and it conveys the idea that it should be an ongoing, progressive pursuit or ongoing action. Here, I'll give you, I gave you the first Greek word. I may as well give you the second one. Phroneo. Okay? So, zeteo, phroneo. And it means to keep on giving serious consideration to something. To ponder. To let one's mind dwell on. To keep thinking about. To fix one's attention on. Okay? So, this is not just thinking it's not just kind of daydreaming this is intense focus or as one uh, author cal newport talks about it called deep work this 
book set aside, talking about how you should set aside time for, for deep, intense work. Uh, I think this verb, this setting your mind on, would, would capture deep work, deep thinking, concentration. There's much danger in not having this level of preoccupation with these sorts of heavenly things. We all remember the example of Jesus when he was with Peter. Jesus was with all of his disciples and they're making their way up from north in Galilee. They're heading down toward Jerusalem for this final week, this this holy week. And as they're on their way down, Jesus begins to reveal to them the kind of the, the purpose for why he's going to Jerusalem. He says that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the religious leaders. And then he even goes into great detail. Jesus says, and to be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter must have only heard the first part. Because at that point, meaning not hearing the raised part, because Peter turns and rebukes Jesus and he says to Jesus, far be it. This should this will never happen to you. And that's when Jesus turns around and gives him the, the famous saying, get behind me, Satan. Right. We know that one. How many of you use that to uh, those in your household? <laughs> You're repeating me. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. But he goes on. This is what he says after that. We, we sometimes don't remember. He says, you're a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God. Same verb here. You are not setting your minds on the things of God. And he continues. But on the things of man. Jesus sets the contrast out. We need to be doing deep work. Peter, you're not doing deep work on the things of God. The Apostle Paul says uh, something very similar. He's grieving in his letter to the Philippians about the many people who he says will walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. And he ends with with minds set on same word, one word with minds set on earthly things. This isn't you, is it? What are, what are you setting your mind on? Think back over the last week or the month or the season. What has been your preoccupation? Has it, been, has it been earthly things? Has it been the things of man? Or has your preoccupation been on the things above? Paul's encouragement to the Colossians and his encouragement to us is for uh, us uh, for us to make our preoccupation the things above. And he says, this is our responsibility. If you are raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. If you are raised with Christ, set your minds on the things above where Christ is. It's helpful to remember that what it is that we set our minds on directs how our life goes. Paul says in in Romans 8, 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit of God is life and peace. What, what do you want? Do you want death or do you want life and peace? Do you want the the vices of chapter 3, verse 5? Immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire. Or do you want the verses of 12? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Again, we should make our preoccupation with the realm above. And he gives a couple of other supporting reasons why. Well, first, as we've seen, because we have died with Christ. He repeats it again in verse 3. For you have died. When you came to faith in Christ, you, your old self, died. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So first reason is, well, you have died. That's how you can make this your preoccupation. Second, um, you, you have died with Christ and you will also live with Christ. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 3. And not only is your life with Christ... Paul goes to the next level and he says this, your life is Christ. Notice verse three, the second half of verse three and into verse four. Let's read verse four. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we have died with Christ Our life is with Christ. Our life is Christ. And when he comes back, we will receive the glory that he has. You also will appear with him in glory. I want to read these words here from uh, a scholar and pastor writing on this passage. He says this. And I'm tweaking some things that kind of apply it to us here. It's my little edits here. Speaking of Christians, he says, Christians, we now share in the resurrected life. So our lives are to be different. Our interests are to be focused on Christ. Our minds, aims, ambitions, in fact, our whole outlook is to be centered on that heavenly realm where Christ rules and where our lives truly belong. A a continuous ongoing effort is required for such a focus does not come automatically. The godly man or woman will regularly assess whether their ambitions and lifestyle are consistent with the ultimate goal to which God has called them. Heaven itself, where Christ rules. A resurrected life makes its focus on on heavenly things, not on worldly things. A resurrected life is a Jesus-centered life. Notice how many times 
Paul says in these four short verses, he references Christ. You've been raised with Christ, where Christ is. Hidden with Christ, when Christ who also appears. A resurrected life is a Jesus-centered life. And a resurrected life requires a, a sanctified or set-apart life. I love the greeting that we have uh, on Resurrection Sunday morning. I love it. I, I think, I kind of think we should do it every Sunday morning. Why should we just wait for, you know, once a year when we can say, He is risen. He is risen indeed, right? Thank you for those who said it. He is risen. He is risen risen indeed. I think we should say it all the time. But I love it when we get to say it together on Resurrection Sunday morning. But in light of this passage, I think, I was was thinking uh, this morning, there's something we could add to it. We could finish, when, when those we say, he is risen, and those say, he is risen indeed. We could actually say these words back. And I am too. And I am too. So maybe as you're going to your families now, you're going to you're going to have ham and Easter ham or wherever. You're going to have your family meals together. And hopefully there'll be some uh, family members who have this tradition that will say he is risen. And uh, you will say he is risen and they will say he is risen indeed back. And then you could go and say, uh, and I am too. And if you're in Christ, you are too. If you have been raised with Christ, he says. We are risen with Christ if we trust in him. Do you trust in him? If you don't trust in him, I would invite you to do so. You you may be listening to this and hearing these words and the spirit of God's maybe pricking your heart. And and you're saying, I I want that resurrected life. If that is you, um, then just right now say that to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I want that resurrected life. I invite you into my heart. I invite you to be my savior. I repent and turn away from all of this dead things that I have done. And I want this new resurrected life that you could give me. And he'll forgive you. He will cancel that record of debt that stands against you and condemns you. He has taken that away in the cross if you would only let him. So you can trust in Christ. You could say, I want that resurrected Christ. But, and if you do that, and for those of us who have done that, if you are in Christ, then you are risen with Christ. And if you are risen with Christ, then live the reality of your resurrection. And then live the responsibility of that resurrection. Pursue the things above And make your preoccupation the things that are above, where Christ is. I've written a a prayer for us to close our time together. So if you would pray with me as I I read this prayer. Lord Jesus, make the reality of this day and the truth of it to penetrate into our hearts and our souls. For those who claim faith in you, make us to grasp the reality of your resurrection. 
make us also to more deeply grasp the reality of our resurrection with you. By your Holy Spirit, make us to own our responsibility of our resurrection. Help us, Jesus, to make your kingdom and its values our pursuit. To seek your kingdom first above our own personal kingdoms. Help us to remove the distractions that would prevent us from setting our minds on your kingdom values. Make us to be preoccupied with your kingdom because that is where you are and we desire to be where you are. Until that time, help us to live like we will be when we are reunited to you. We pray this in your mighty and precious name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Let's stand for our closing benediction, shall we? Brothers and sisters in Christ, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And I am. (laughs) That's right.